This podcast is for adults 21 years of age or older. We talk about cannabis history and advertise cannabis products. If you're not 21, come back when you are. Spoke Media. Howdy do, folks. It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome back for yet another episode of Great Moments in Weed History. On this show, Bean and I, who are both cannabis journalists and media makers, go over one of the more fascinating points in the very, very long history of cannabis. I have no prior knowledge of the story that Bean's about to tell us. You and I are going to hear it for the first time, except I get to sit here and smoke weed with Bean as he tells us this incredible story. I can't wait to hear what today's story is. Bean, what the F do you got for us? Today's story, I honestly would say, is one of the greatest moments in weed history. It's about people that we both know, we've spent time with, and it's a story that to me encapsulates everything that's amazing about cannabis culture, weed culture, this community, and how this community has pushed back against the forces of authoritarian bullshit and changed the world in the process. Well, it sounds like it has all my favorite, favorite elements for a weed story to have, sticking it to the man, blowing weed smoke into the face of authority. I, I don't know what it is, man. I like, you know, my mind is racing going through all these incredible moments. I'm super curious to find out, man. Holy shit. I got like a half a joint here. That doesn't seem worthy of this story. So I'm going to roll a fresh one. Okay. And if you're listening to the podcast at home or wherever you are and you're not quite with us yet, now's a great time to hit pause, roll something up, pack a bowl, do what you do. We'll be here waiting for you. But otherwise, I think you and I are ready for another great moment in weed history. All right, so I got this fatty going. My fucking curiosity is running wild. What do you got? So in 1973, 20-year-old Valerie Leveroni Corral was riding in a Volkswagen Bug through the Nevada desert when a small airplane swooped down low enough that its torque caused the vehicle to careen end over end off the road. Oh, my God. So we're talking about Valerie. We're talking about Val from Wham. They are an amazing organization that provides cannabis, medical cannabis, for people who can't afford it uh, in the Santa Cruz area. Is that right, Bean? Yeah, absolutely. And the story of how that came to be is really emblematic of the whole medical cannabis movement. Yeah. If you're unfamiliar with Wham, Valerie is the daughter of a very famous figure in cannabis, uh, one of our favorites and a friend of ours, Nana Marijuana. I'm Aurora Leveroni. I'm also known as Nana Marijuana. Being Italian, my favorite type of food is naturally Italian. I like to cook with medical marijuana because I feel that it helps those who have been ill and had to endure pain. And I will use it if it helps anyone. She's a cannabis chef. 
And she is a spitfire. She's really, really cool. And, and she's like 98 now. Wow. And, she, and when we made the first video for Bog Appetit, I think she was 94. And, wow. you know, that video went around the world. And yeah, the world didn't know it needed a weed grandma, but we all most certainly did. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this is all part of supporting her daughter through this journey that we're about to take. Uh, Nona Marijuana doesn't, as she say, get high off her own supply. Uh, mm -hmm. Her interest in medical cannabis came when she saw what it did for Valerie. And she went from somebody who really had no connection to weed culture to becoming, like you said, an icon of it just out of maternal love and, and understanding that this is great medicine mm -hmm. and seeing it firsthand. <clears throat> so Valerie was riding in this Volkswagen bug. This plane swoops over the car mm -hmm. and essentially like blows it off the road. As the bug skidded and bounced over brush and rocks, Valerie was flung against the roof and doors. Uh, and this caused brain damage and epilepsy. And she started having debilitating migraines. <sighs> Man, so, that's terrible. She's still dealing with the aftermath of this. And, mm -hmm. in, and in the immediate aftermath, she's prescribed all these pharmaceuticals, Percodan, Valium, uh, something called Mycelene, and they were giving her these huge prescriptions for them, but none of them were stopping her convulsions. They weren't stopping her from having grand mal seizures. And meanwhile, the side effects of these drugs leave her totally lethargic and she can't concentrate. So she's in this period of time where she's, you know, zombified by these pills, mm. you know, and they're not helping the underlying conditions. And then her husband, uh, Mike Corral, reads about a government-funded research study mm -hmm. that was published in the prestigious Journal of the National Cancer Institute that claimed unique compounds found in cannabis can actually reverse the growth of cancer's tumors and help control laboratory-induced seizures. So Mike Corral reads about this study. They get excited. And despite having no medical training whatsoever, the couple decided to conduct their own experiment at home and discovered to their astonishment that ingesting copious amounts of cannabis did indeed control Valerie's previously debilitating epilepsy. Yeah. Oh, my God. So she's discovering what so many... Parents of kids with seizures discovered, you know, in, in recent years that cannabis is a really effective treatment for seizures. There's your anecdotal evidence. Why isn't there more studies? Well, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. Naturally, Mike and Valerie expected that the scientists behind this amazing study would, like, win a Nobel Prize. Yeah, seriously. And that their teams of researchers are going to follow up on this groundbreaking, life-changing work that they're doing. But instead, you know, this is the Nixon administration. Public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. This is the beginning of the modern war on drugs. And the U.S. government responds by cutting off all funding for this study, by burying their findings. Oh, my God. And moving to shut down all future research into cannabis unless it is specifically designed to demonstrate the plant's potential for abuse. But it's not true that they cut off research into cannabis. They just choose to fund studies like, oh. let's make monkeys smoke the equivalent of 100 pounds of weed in five minutes, and hey, guess what? It's not really good for your brain. 
And that's not the exact amount of weed or how much time, but studies were done. They were totally skewed on purpose. And then by the time it gets to Reagan, he's saying things like, you know, smoking one joint will give you permanent brain damage forever. Leading medical researchers are coming to the conclusion that marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug in the United States, and we haven't begun to find out all of the ill effects. Just ridiculous Mm -hmm. bullshit and all part of this uh, propaganda. Definitely a shitty time to discover that the medicine you need is completely embattled by the politics. And they're like shocked by this. They, they, I've talked to Valerie about this. She genuinely thought once the study came out and she saw it worked, this was all going to happen quickly. But we're, you know, talking about the, the 1970s. Um, mm-hmm. But Mike and Valerie <clears throat> decide to keep experimenting on their own including learning how to grow their own supply of medical cannabis in their backyard and starting to figure out what strains work best for her and what delivery methods work best for her um, and really dialing in a treatment for themselves. Right. So this is the beginning of the Wham Farm, of the actual uh, cultivation that ends up helping not only Valerie in her situation, but many, many other medical patients around them. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, their their focus was just on helping Valerie. But I think that first crop of cannabis that they, they grew for her, like you said, is in a direct line that leads to everything else. That decision that yeah. we're going to take our health and our well-being into our own hands, and it doesn't fucking matter what the government says Mm -hmm. that decision has big reverberations moving forward. So this is in the 70s. Nothing really changes that much until 1992 when the Corrals were arrested for the first time for cultivating a small garden of weed plants. But local prosecutors dismissed the case after the Corrals raised a then-novel defense of medical necessity. So the idea that medical necessity is a defense in a criminal case is very, very old law. It is like going back to like common law, like the precursors of our criminal justice system. And it wasn't an acknowledged uh, thing, but it's basically the idea that if you can walk into court and say, I had to do this, uh, out of medical necessity that can exempt you from criminal prosecution. And it's important to note a lot of other people who had real medical ailments were still prosecuted and jailed and mm. fucked with for essentially medical cannabis use. Um, but they had a very good documentation of her medical history. They had kept notes about what they were doing. And there in Santa Cruz, California in the 1970s, which is a place and a time where cannabis was far more accepted than many, many other places. It's like a counterculture town. It's Mm -hmm. a college town. It's it's home to 
one half of the great moments in weed history team. Yeah. Uh, even is, the judges are cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come that, to a place where even the judges are like, no, nah, it's all good, bro. <laughs> yeah. We have the Grateful Dead archives. You know, Santa Cruz is a surfing town. So when they go to court, it, it was the prosecutor who dismissed the case. So that's even cooler mm-hmm. than a cool judge is a cool prosecutor who says, listen, I'm here to represent the values of my community and this doesn't match up. Fucking with this woman with brain trauma because she's growing weed in her yard is not our idea of... Justice. Of justice. Yeah. Guess who disagrees? The police. So the next year, you know, I mean, they grow weed again. Why, why wouldn't you? And the sheriff shows up again, has them charged. Uh, but this time, they not only drop the charges... But the district attorney publicly says, I'm not going to prosecute them uh, and told the police. Stop arresting these people, (laughs) (laughs) you fucking idiots. Yes. (laughs) Stop wasting your time and people's tax dollars by harassing a sick woman. You know what I mean? (laughs) For growing some plants. What happens, though, is when the district, and you have to understand, it's a small town and, and this isn't, the, the state and the federal government haven't gotten involved in this. This is just one little thing that's happening in one little town yeah. that not that many people know about. But when he comes out and gives a press conference and says, I live in the United States of America, I'm a district attorney, and I'm not going to arrest that woman for mm-hmm. growing weed ever again or yeah. prosecute, Yeah, that gets into the press. So, and this is just a few years before 215. Yeah. Prop 215 in California was in 1996. That's the first statewide medical cannabis law. And so now, as I said, they're part of this movement that is uh, many people are coming to the same realization that Valerie has come to and Mike have, have come to that this is not just medicinal. This is a life-changing medicine. This mm-hmm. is the difference between me being zonked out on pills for the rest of my life that will probably kill me over time. Mm. And once you realize that those are your two choices in life, it, it becomes imperative to push back. Uh, yeah. it, is, it is different than just wanting to get high, which is also perfectly fine and nobody's business and the yeah. government shouldn't do anything. And, and also sometimes just getting high is the medicine that you need from cannabis. And it's a better medicine for that than alcohol is or, you know, that pills are, that any other number of drugs are because uh, it won't kill you in the process. It's really good medicine. And I'll uh, oh, yeah, I'll take a little when, you're, yeah, when you. you've had your fill. Thanks. So what happens is all these seriously ill people from the community start reaching out to Valerie and Mike and they're telling them their experiences with medical cannabis and they're asking for help finding a supply because there's still no medical cannabis anywhere to be found. Yeah. The other thing that happens is growers from the underground, people who society look on as criminals and are literally hiding what they're doing, they also start reaching out to Valerie Mm -hmm. and they say, hey, I heard you lost all your plants. I read about this. Take this. This is from my garden. I hope this helps you. And they started giving them so much And all these people at the same time are asking them if they know where they can get any. And instead of staying safe and saying, well, hey, we got our little 
thing that makes it okay for us. They started taking all this weed that these growers were giving them and driving around in their old Subaru and delivering it to people who needed it. This is what I'm talking about with this story in particular and what makes it truly great is that at its heart, you know, it's uh, people helping other people despite the risk. The world doesn't even recognize that this is a medicine. You know, despite all these people saying that this is what they need and that it's treating what they have. And here, there's somebody who is putting themselves in harm's way to set them free. It's at the heart of of all the work that we do. Like, you know, at its core, this is what inspires it. And so standing at the crossroads of need and generosity, the need being the patients reaching out to them, the generosity being these growers Mm -hmm. uh, giving up part of their harvest. And, And these were not insignificant donations as as Wham! grew. Mike and Valerie reacted by discreetly supplying as many legitimate patients as possible. And as you said, this was years before there were any laws in place to protect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Valerie later told Mother Jones magazine, you have a car accident and you think you get a brain trauma out of it. And instead, it becomes this wonderful opportunity to meet people at the most crucial moment in their lives. Yeah, that's a great example of like the kind of optimism that I think Val just carries around with her uh, so effortlessly. She's been through a lot and she's accomplished a lot too. She really has this kind of like amazing perseverance in her. You know what I mean? They're they're family to me since, you know, uh, moved to Santa Cruz almost 10 years ago. Uh, really got involved with volunteering with Wham, going up to the garden, just leafing and trimming and hanging out with people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the best times of my life and and definitely when I felt most connected to the plant and to, uh, you know, this shared mission of ours. It's just so inspiring. Um, and so... Uh, As more and more of their time was devoted to driving around in a Subaru full of donated weed and they're making these deliveries, uh, Valerie and Mike uh, start to make plans to form a collective that they call WHAM. And even a lot of the original WHAM members, the people who reached out to them while it was still in the shadows, were people with HIV and AIDS, um, which was, you know, in the epidemic phase. And so there you have another level of outsiderdom and defiance that is bringing together these group of people to, as I said, really change society, really bring a valuable gift Mm -hmm. to not just themselves and their little scene and community, but really to the world. Yeah, and and, and I think this really illustrates, uh, you know, an important point about uh, these early days of medical cannabis uh, laws, you know, here in California, is that it really was a lot of different types of marginalized people, marginalized for their race or for their sexual orientation or for diseases that they have insanely. It really, you know, paints different parts of this one picture that it was all these different marginalized people coming together for a cause. And like like in so many other things throughout history, you know, specifically in this era, cannabis is emblematic of that cause, right? It, it's like the, the through line. I think that's definitely true and something I've seen firsthand at WHAM. And and to get to your point about being marginalized, 
illness marginalizes you. And especially in this country where it's not just a health crisis, but it's very often a financial crisis to get seriously ill. And I think one of the things that affected me, has affected me the most in volunteering at WAM and spending time with people there is WAM is the place where I've spent the most time with people really on the raw end of the stick of our economy. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I said, some of them got there before they got sick and some of them got there because they got sick, Mm -hmm. but it's another world. And to see weed bring healing and joy, but also community is profound. And like, um, I, I just we'd have a weekly wham meeting where you could come and pick up your medicine and every meeting somebody would get up and say does anybody have a place where i can just park my truck for a while and i'll sleep in the back and maybe use your bathroom or can somebody give me a ride to the doctor cuz i i i don't yeah. have a car and and more hands went up than could do it you know it's that kind of community um yeah. and that comes from the human heart but it's like you said, weed was the through line. It was mm-hmm. the one thing that connected everybody, and it was more than enough. You know how they say, like, never meet your heroes? Mm-hmm. Mike and Valerie and Wham were like heroes to me before I met them, before I moved to Santa Cruz. Mm. And it was so much more than I could have thought it was or, or had experienced in my life. Like I said, it's just to, as Valerie said, you know, meeting people at the most crucial time in their life. You can do a small kindness for somebody who is in a desperate moment and Mm -hmm. it's a big thing. And a lot of the people who trimmed, man, they were fighting illnesses, but they were able to sit there in a beautiful garden and we just talk and laugh and, you know, and the scissors are going and like a lot of those people would be alone without Pam. Yeah, it really is a great organization, and they're an indispensable part of of the cannabis movement. So now they've got their WHAM, they're an organization. It's Medical marijuana doesn't exist, so they're just kind of like sub rosa, just under the surface. You can find them, but, you know, there's no real law protecting them. Um, right. But they start to collectively grow their own instead of relying on donations from growers. Right. Um, and they want to make sure they have different strains and that it's all, all organic and just uh, to not have to rely on donations. And there's more and more people. So they, they yeah. start to grow. And this is how Mike Corral explain this to the author of a book called Dying to Get High, which really tells the Wham! story. and is a Great title. It's a great book, yeah. Um, So Mike said, The garden isn't just a place where volunteers show up and grow marijuana. Really what it is is a healing space. People are ill when they come to the garden. They are watering the plants, leafing the plants, touching the plants that are going to be their medicine. Mm. And in taking care of the plants, they are taking care of themselves. That line dissolves because the plants become part of their bodies over the following year after we've harvested. And that was something, you know, going up to the garden over the course of a year and to be there and and be breaking ground to put the little tiny plants in the ground Mm. and see it through to this. And I mean, we're talking about 
10 foot tall, outdoor, sticky, icky, beautifully cared for, organic monster plants, you know, yeah. that just grew. And I just think those plants knew they had a good purpose. And to this day, those were the happiest plants that I ever was around. And it's like, you can call me a hippie, whatever, <laughs> but it's now, fucking there's real. something to it. It's no surprise that at a place like Wham, where literally there's good vibes and love behind every rock, you know, and literally the purpose of that weed is an expression of compassion. Of course, the plants are happy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like, as you say, under every rock, it just makes me think like, there are literally dozens of WAM members who chose to have their ashes spread on that land. Oh, wow. Because a lot of people in WAM passed away. You know, right. people, They're sick people. They yeah. showed up terminally ill. Sure. And then I also think of it as a place where I saw terminally ill people laughing, mm-hmm. laughing, laughing, laughing. And it's like, I love to make you laugh. And that's like a big part of the show for me. Yeah, yeah, same. And like, I felt like that was an energy that I could bring up there. And like to make somebody, you know, it was just, yeah, under every rock, every nook, every cranny, every bud. And it was was beautiful. Um, Yeah, man. So then in in 1996, Valerie was actually a co-author along with Dennis Perone and others of Prop 215. My name is Dennis Perone. I'm the author of Proposition 15. You could say that that is the beginning of the end of the war on drugs. I began Prop 215 in 1990 when the AIDS epidemic hit me, myself, and, and my members of my community. There are some things worth going to jail for, and uh, this I felt was worth it. It's like the Declaration of Independence of medical cannabis. Of Right. And Wham! was really used as an example to show, like, look, this works for people. And now Prop 215 happens. It passes. It's called the Compassionate Use Act. It allows for collectives like Wham. It's really kind of supposed to be just collectives like Wham. Yeah. And it becomes, of course, dispensaries and many other things. Um, but people start flooding to Wham now because it's totally legal. They've read about medical cannabis. And so they are still dedicated to providing it to people for free or on a sliding scale. And this idea of helping people not just to get weed, Mm -hmm. but to see them through this illness wherever it leads, Mm -hmm. um, that becomes the central mission. And what Valerie says is, I can't tell you how many of our members had to crash on couches or stay with their families, throwing up in other people's toilets through chemotherapy only because they were poor. That realization changed me forever. I know I could make a lot of money off cannabis, but I don't really work with pot. I work with people, and people don't have to be suffering. If they are in pain, we should help excavate that pain instead of adding to it, which is what the marketplace does. Personally, I don't think my needs are greater than somebody who's sick. Wow. So, you know, I think that really illustrates kind of how selfless and determined she is, really. And we're going to take our, our break in a little minute, but I'll just say, you know, the other thing that Wham! starts to do in this time period is provide end-of-life, like, hospice care for people and Wham! members who will come to your house in the final weeks or days of your life and take care of you in every sense. 
And I, I will just say, like, I'm not strong in that way. Yeah. But I knew the people in Wham who did this, and they did it joyfully because they did it in service. And it was almost always people who had shown up at Wham really ill themselves and come through it and felt that need to um, give back. Incredible, man. Well, I can't wait to hear the second half of this story, especially because I know that Nana Marijuana is probably going <laughs> to pop up more than once. And she is a really fun character. Seriously, one of the most fun characters in cannabis ever. Good shit. You got a grandmother fetish, huh? <laughs> I do now. After that crack, definitely. So I think this one is just... Smoke weedia. And we're back. I'm really excited to hear the rest of this story. Let's get into it. So we'll pick it up in the year 2000. And that brings us the election of George W. Bush as president. And the city of Santa Cruz looks at this and gets a little worried and says, all right, we're going to actually go. I think, to be fair, I think... Everybody looks at this and gets a little worried. Nobody more so than George W. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> True that. Mm. Um, but the city of Santa Cruz thinks, okay, well, this administration could be very hostile to medical cannabis. We've kind of become this home of medical cannabis in a lot of ways. Santa Cruz yeah. is not a big town. So yeah. Wham is, you know, and Wham, so many of the people that they serve are local. So those stories spread and, you know, Wham really has the respect of the local government. They see that these people are being helped and they also see that it's going to really, really poor people. And it's a pretty good sign that you're not out to profiteer and become a drug kingpin if your point of your organization is giving weed away for free. And also, you know, they're providing vital healthcare services to really poor people in a not that big community, it gets noticed as the good work that it is. And then either people were already amenable to cannabis and they learn even more through Wham's example, or a lot of people who might have thought, well, medical marijuana is bullshit, mm -hmm. come to realize it's very much the opposite. Right. So what the city of Santa Cruz decides to do is they deputize Mike and Valerie and they designate them as official medical cannabis suppliers uh, for the city. And they're just trying to give them another layer of protection from the authorities. They're, they're saying they're doing work in conjunction with the local government now. That's great. So at least at a local level, the powers that be are recognizing what Mike and Valerie are up to and lending their support. Yes. And of course... That should have uh, said everything. You know I mean? So I'm hearing that tone in your voice, and <laughs> I've noticed that up until this point, you know, things were getting better and going well, and we were talking about community and <laughs> compassion and all these nice things. But there's often a turn in these great moments in weed history stories where things get bad, and I sense that that's what's about to happen. It is the story that it is, and it's a rough one, but I will remind you, like I said, it has not just a happy ending, but an inspiring ending and yeah. an ending that 
was really the beginning of the pendulum switching. And yeah, so this it's no coincidence. This new administration comes in and, you know, Bill Clinton didn't legalize weed. He, he you know, uh, they have a really spotty, at best, really shitty uh, criminal justice record of that administration. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at you, 25 million people in jail in the United States. Yeah. So it's not to say it's about what political party is in office, but this move to a Republican administration and seeing the people that are starting to staff the Justice Department and uh, having an attorney general, John Ashcroft, changes things. And there's a consequence to who's in power locally and here federally. And so uh, what happens is that on September 5th, 2002, 30 heavily armed DEA agents raided Wham's garden. Today, members of Wham, Women's Alliance for Medical Marijuana, were stunned when federal agents raided Wham's greenhouse and garden shortly before noon and hauled away the entire pot crop of about 150 plants. And they held Valerie, Mike, and a paraplegic woman at gunpoint. They were up in the garden just working, thinking it was any other day in this, like, Eden-like environment that they had put everything into. And, of course, you know, September is close to harvest, like, inflict Mm -hmm. maximum damage. Sit back and watch while this group of people who are so ill build their dream together Mm -hmm. and then come in and... (laughs) Snatch it at the last moment. There is a picture of this next to draconian enforcement of prohibition in the dictionary. This is absolutely the ugliest. I mean, imagine the contrast here. You know, we're talking about this idyllic place that's uh, founded on this real, you know, human integrity. And you're seeing it be marginalized, uh, you know, in a in a in what amounts to a show of force. Yeah, and... They went after them because they were the best example of truly compassionate, collective, nonprofit providing for patients. Mm -hmm. And so the message they're trying to send is there's no way to do this that we won't come down on. You know, the people of California have just voted. They've just said, we want medical cannabis to be available to people who are sick. And in the wake of that, all kinds of things happen. And some people did make a lot of money. But the reason they targeted Wham was to show everybody else in this movement and this community will get you no matter what. You think we're fucking around? We'll come with guns drawn on a paraplegic woman and hold her at Mm -hmm. gunpoint. The ideology that George W. Bush is upholding with these types of actions has been bought over decades, lobbied for by massive corporate interests. It's the reason that we're in this place is not even because it's some sort of moral battle for him, which is what, you know, he told everybody, right? That this is like not the Christian thing or not the American thing because all drugs are bad. But literally, it's because his pockets are lined with money from the pharmaceutical industry and the petroleum industry and the plastics industry. This is an act of complete malevolence 
in disguise as morality. It, re- it reminds me of that great Monty Python line where he just says, now you see the violence inherent in the system. Yeah, like, yeah. Wham pushed it to the point where they were making it an accepted part of society. And mm. they were doing it in a way where they couldn't make an argument against Wham. They couldn't make a reasonable response and say to people, well, here's why these people should be stopped. And knock, knock, knock. Here's a letter saying, please don't do this anymore. That's what you would do if you really thought this was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they're trying to show is that there's violence behind these laws. If you continue to break them, we'll put a fucking gun to your head and we'll put you in jail. And so here's where we get to our great moment. And so what happens is the paraplegic woman named Susan. I was starting to have chest pain and lightheadedness. Took her blood pressure and it was off the chart. She was in danger. Eventually they let me leave and the minute I got in cell phone range, I took a bunch of blood pressure medication and then I started getting our emergency response team going. And that made everybody else know that the raid was happening because there were only three people at the garden. And so while the cops are there, the DEA agents are there, um, there's hundreds of plants that they're chopping down. They're there for a long time. They take everybody into custody, but they're still up in the garden and you've been to the garden. Yeah. You drive up this really, really windy mountain road. uh, And as you're approaching the top where you would turn into the driveway, uh, you can see all the cannabis plants. And if it's harvest time, you can see them all in their full glory. Yeah, and you look the other way and you see the ocean and it's this beautiful place, but it's also, it's a narrow country road. And so the word goes out on the phone tree, Wham! Garden is being raided. And the plan that was in place was that everybody who was able, first of all, they contacted the local media and they had friendly reporters who knew about Wham! and knew that this could happen and knew, hey, you're going to be the people we call and we need you to show up as soon as this happens. And the members. And the plan and what people did was they came in walkers, people in wheelchairs and old people and young people, and they went to the gate and they barricaded themselves against the gate. They got a phone call while we were there saying that there were 200 people at the gate blocking the agents in. They asked us, will you ask your members to leave? And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And then they said, well, will you ask them to let the agents by? They've locked the gate and the agents can't get through. And they said, you have two options. You can release Valerie and Mike from custody Mm -hmm. or you can physically pull us off of our walkers and throw us in the back and take us to jail with them. Wow. And uh, yeah, ultimately they backed down and they let them, they they were still arrested, um, but they let them out of custody at that point. Wow. The solidarity there, I mean, that that's just incredible. It's a very moving image to see all these people, all these sick people just showing uh, their support for somebody who helped them in their greatest time of need. And I hope that, you know, like, uh, that it showed one of those fucking cops, you know what I mean, who was joyfully tearing down their uh, medical weed crop 
that they were wrong, that they're on the wrong side of this. I, I know through Valerie that at least one of those DEA agents has personally apologized to her. Wow, really? That's yeah. incredible. One's better than none. Yeah. And so, you know, they're they're released from custody, but the garden is destroyed, and Mike and Valerie are both facing a very real threat of life in prison. Federal prison. Federal prison for the plant, the number of plants that they were growing. Um, and that, it, it wasn't theoretical that yeah. that's what they were facing. That was a very legitimate thing to have to come to terms with. Yeah. That that may be what the rest of your existence on the planet is going to be. And oh, by the way, in prison, Valerie would have no access to cannabis. Right, of course. Um, so she'd be right back where she started. She would be suffering from seizures. Yeah. Or taking, they'd be glad to give you pharmaceutical drugs in jail if you're prescribed them that are, you know, uh, paid for by the same government that's jailing you for growing weed. Yeah. But they're not going to let you uh, get a little loud, at least uh, not from them. I couldn't think of a more awful outcome than two people who did so much to try to help people. Being locked up um, forever. But you ready for like another great moment on top of the other great moment? Let's do it, man. <laughs> we can use a great moment right now. Yeah, well, I think we got through the, this is the lowest moment. I think the lowest moment is coming to terms with that thought. Mm. So they have to make a decision. What are they going to do? And what's Wham going to do? as a collective, and instead of backing down, less than two weeks after the DEA raid, Wham gathered together with Mike Valerie and uh, the whole collective on the steps of City Hall in Santa Cruz mm -hmm. alongside the mayor, and they defiantly distributed medical cannabis to patients in Wham. Um, and they said publicly that they were going to do this in advance. And thousands of people came out in the street, um, <laughs> like carrying little plants. I appreciate that you guys just are willing to be here and hear out from those of us who are in pain. And this, it helps me to not be throwing up every single day for hours at a time. And it helps me not to be in pain. And this works for me. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, everyone was coming to contribute. Everyone was saying, if you bust her, bust me. Yeah. I'm here too. Fuck it. Like, yeah. there's video, you you know, you can see it was on CNN, like thousands of people walking through the streets of this little town holding plants or holding pictures of their loved ones who who had been Wham members. Yeah. And and what they were basically saying is okay, if you're going to come and do this in our cuz they lived at the garden as well. Right. If you're yeah. going to come to our if you think the government has such an interest in this that you're going to come to our home with fucking guns, yeah. then do it on city on the steps of city hall. And of course, like bullies, they didn't show up because mm -hmm. they were outnumbered and they had no just reason to be there and they knew it and they knew they couldn't get away with it in front of a, the whole world. Mm. And I really believe as a journalist, as a person, as a WAM member, 
now, not, you know, I wasn't then, but there was a plan within the George W. Bush administration to take down medical cannabis nationwide and that this raid on Wham was meant to be the shot across the bow to everyone to say, this is happening. We're going to fucking shut you down no matter what. And that if Wham had backed down, that's what would have happened. And we would be living in a very different world. And because Wham and Mike and Valerie stood up to these bullies mm-hmm. and... Guess who was front and center? Nana Marijuana? Fuck yeah, Nana Marijuana. Oh my God, man. If I were president, what a country this would be. Well, I better not go into that because I don't want the CIA, the DEO, the ABC, FGAs coming knocking on my door. And they will, but I could care less. The world's weed, Grandma. (laughs) But, uh, you know, to wrap it up with Wham, they didn't even stop with the city hall. They went on, and with help from the ACLU, they sued the Justice Department. And they ultimately uh, basically won an injunction from the Justice Department that said, well, we won't raid you again. Very similar to how it began with the local sheriff. Holy shit. Truly like a David and Goliath type win. You know what I'm saying? To to have them after... Such a show of force to have them, you know, back down and then be like, okay, no, it's cool. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll chill out about this. I don't it know. It is they, a massive win. Yeah. I don't know that they quite use the word cool, but uh, <laughs> they certainly backed down. And the next spring, Wham replanted the garden and the garden flourished for, for many, many years after. The weed will always grow back, people. <laughs> we'll be long gone and the weed will grow back. You know what I'm saying? You can always bet on that. To bring people a little up to speed, Wham has not been active since legalization passed. They were basically had problems getting a lease at the place that they'd always been able to do this. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to get into the details of of that, but it's you know taking something very very special and precious like Wham and trying to fit it into a bureaucracy. Um, it has proven difficult, but Wham, as of this recording, has a new location, and and Wham is well on the way to reopening in Santa Cruz, and will be servicing the community again very soon. And that's super exciting. And you know, if you're moved by this story, you can go to Wham.org. W A M M dot O-R-G. You can find out what's going on with Wham and, you know, maybe you can kick them a little donation if 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 your heart moves you to do that. Yes, you should absolutely do that. You should check them out. That was an incredible episode. Thank you so much for sharing that, Bean. I know this was a really personal one for you. Uh, these are things that you've experienced yourself. These are people that are very close to your heart. And I'm so glad to have gotten to know them and to see what you see in them, man, because these are the people that make me so happy that I made my life a cannabis life, man, indeed. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you want to learn more about Wham, please check them out at wamm.org. And uh, if you like what they're about, please make a donation. It's a really fantastic organization helping a lot of people. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We'll see you next time on Great Moments in Weed History. 
Great Moments in Weed History is a Spoke Media production. It's hosted by me, Abdullah Saeed, and David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. We're produced by Brigham Mosley and Cody Hoffmachel with help from Reyes Mendoza and Kendall Lake. Special thanks to Gold Digger Studio. This episode was mixed by Jonathan Villalobos. Our executive producers are Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GMIWH Podcast or shoot us an email at GMIWH Podcast at SpokeMedia.io. And if you're enjoying our show, please tell your friends about it the next time you're smoking weed with them. Check out our show notes where you'll find more information about things we discussed today and links to our sponsors. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at Great Moments in Weed History. Dot com, and that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.